He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome back to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is a weekly internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is episode two and I am Scott Gardner. Right off the bat, I'd like to apologize for the kind of clunkiness of the first episode that I threw out there. Despite being a quote-unquote veteran podcaster, you know, you, you find out with things like this that uh, there's always more to learn. There's uh, kinks to be worked out, and maybe you're not so uh, so smart as you think you are sometimes. So I'll try to be a little more off-the-cuff and a little less scripted in these, uh, in these episodes. Um, listening back to that first one, it just doesn't sound like it flows naturally to me the way that I really want it to. It sounded very... Uh, very uh, canned, very uh, scripted, and I don't really want to come across that way, so I will try harder. I would like to say that I really appreciate the feedback that I got from the people that I threw the episode out to before I actually posted it up. Um, It was just a couple of folks, and I really appreciate the feedback they gave me. And ultimately, though, I went with the episode pretty much the way I had sent it out to those folks, only because... I ended up really liking the way that the show was edited and scored, and I didn't want to keep going over it and over it and over it because then it just sounds more and more and more rehearsed, and I didn't want it to take all the fun and spontaneity and all that out of it, so that's kind of why it ran that way. However, I do apologize for, uh, I think the audio quality of my voice in that first one was really shitty. I was trying some different settings. And I just didn't like the way ultimately it came out. And for some reason, it sounds very hollow to me. And uh, so I've gone back to the original settings on this. So I apologize for that if it sounded kind of... To me, it just sounded very, very... It's hard to describe. Just kind of tinny, hollow sounding. And I wasn't really all that thrilled with it. So anyway, I've uh, hopefully I've ironed that out. Also, um, my good friend Mike Bailey was teasing me for the uh, twang in my voice in the uh, in the opener and was encouraging me that maybe I wanted to try doing it over again. You know, I, I did, uh, the, I don't know how many takes of the opener and just could not seem to read that thing without getting a little bit of that southern twang in there. I don't know what it was. There's just something about that opening, I think, that lends itself to having a little bit of twang in your voice. So cheesy as it is, I kind of like it. So I left it in. I I thought it came out well. So 
that was a personal call on my ish- on my side. So sorry if you got issues with it, Mike, but I kind of enjoyed it. Another piece of feedback I got, I believe from Michael Bailey as well, was uh, what exactly is the name of the show? You know, I seem to give several different tags um, to you know after death and the acrid smell of gun smoke, and that's my fault because the version I ended up reading off of did have several different um, variations and they didn't all match up so I'm a little bit uh, embarrassed by that but ultimately the name that I've decided to go with for the show is Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke the Jonah Hex Podcast that just seems the the most succinct and, and to the point I liked some of the other ones like you know the life and legend and things like that but then you get into it you know, that's a really long name so I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible but Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke definitely stays and for anybody that's wondering, you know, what what is that? Where does that come from? If you remember back years ago, all the comics seemed to have a header on them that would basically tell what their deal was. You know, with Superman, it was something like, you know, rocketed to Earth from the exploding planet Krypton. Or, you know, the Avengers had their own header that told, you know, how they all came together, you know, to fight, you know, the foes that no single hero could withstand or something like that. That's what this is with Jonah Hex is this was the header that was on his comics. After a certain point, these early ones don't have that, as you'll hear. But at some point, that comes along. The uh, you know He was a hero to some and a villain to others. So I'll point that out when we get to that particular issue. That's where that comes from, and I just always liked that. You know, he, His two companions were death and the acrid smell of gun smoke. It <laughs> just works for me. As I record this, this is actually the day after the first episode has gone up and the first episode went up late in the day on thursday june 10th only because just to give you a peek behind the curtain my intention was to have six episodes fully recorded edited scored and in the can before i even launched this thing because anybody that knows me in the podcasting community knows you know i've already got enough on my plate you know between two true freaks back to the bins and Tales of the Justice Society of America. I've got a lot going on, um, not to mention, you know, actually having, like, a real life and stuff. So I was nervous to launch this and not be able to make the commitment to really stick with it and, and have it be a, a weekly show. However, I saw my personal deadline moving closer and closer and closer, which the, the personal deadline for me was the release of the Jonah Hex movie. I really wanted to try to, you know, as much as I expect that movie's really going to suck, I'll be honest, um, I'm not really that thrilled about it anymore. Um, I'm not even sure that I'm going to go see it at this point. But it just seemed natural that whatever interest the movie may generate to try to ride that wave a little bit. So my goal was to have this episode the second episode, which is really the first episode to actually feature a review and really get into the character, have this coincide with the release of the movie. So I kind of had to step up my game plan a little bit and get this one recorded in the canon out there to you guys. But no worries. I mean, most of my uh, synopses are already written up and ready to go. It's just simply a matter of sitting down and uh, doing the recording. So seeing as how it's a solo project, I'm hoping that that will make it uh, a little bit easier and go a little bit faster. Although I'm finding the solo podcasting thing a little bit daunting. I'm really, I really don't have any experience with the solo thing. And 
frankly, I'm a little bit nervous about it. It's not as easy as it sounds. I mean, there's a reason why I only listen to a couple of solo podcasts and only consider a couple of them successful of all the ones I've ever heard because it is tough. So I appreciate you listening, and I hope you'll stick around, and please give me feedback. Let me know how I'm doing, what can I do better, what can I drop, what what would you like me to pick up that maybe I'm not doing, that sort of thing. I really could use your feedback. And speaking of feedback, I actually have some right out of the gate. The morning after the show has gone up, I have feedback. That is awesome. That is very reassuring to me. So this one comes from Sean Foster, and he writes, A wonderful start to an overdue podcast. Says it's good to hear a podcast covering the adventures of Jonah Hex. That it's taken this long for somebody to devote regular airtime to this subject is frankly amazing. Then again, there are people who think Grant Morrison is a genius, so there's no accounting for taste or common sense, I guess. By the way, have you had a chance to see for a few dollars more and or the good, the bad, and the ugly yet? Now seems to be as good a time as any to do so. Anyway, good luck on this new venture, Scott. I'll be listening and enjoying the show. And that's from Sean Foster. Thank you, Sean. Um, I have actually seen um, for a few dollars more. I finally sat down and watched that one. I really enjoyed it. I, I think I liked that one better than I liked the uh, the first one, Fistful of Dollars. But uh, it's been a little while since I've seen that one, so I mean, I have to dig that one back out. And I started watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and then I got kind of sidetracked, and I haven't had a chance to finish it yet. But so far, I've enjoyed them all. And uh, I really want to track down the rest of the comics, the uh, the Dynamite series based on The the Man With No Name, because I've read the first, I think it was half dozen or so, and was really digging it. It feels a lot like... Jonah Hex, in a way, you know, the, the Jonah Hex, the current series that's out there by uh, Paul Miotti and Gray. Um, I really enjoy that series a lot, and Dynamite series had a, had a similar feel, you know, without aping it or anything like that, or just, just a similar uh, vibe to it. I appreciate the feedback very much, thank you. I was frankly amazed to, to get up this morning and find that I, I had feedback already so early after, uh, like I say, the show went up late on Thursday night. So this is awesome. Friday morning, I've already got feedback. Thank you so much to everybody who's downloaded the show and, and given a listen. And uh, what I'm doing, I'm just covering feedback that actually comes to the Gmail account, which is Podcast at gmail.com. But I did get some other feedback on Facebook and other places. I really appreciate everybody that uh, has listened, encouraged me to do the show, and then given me uh, feedback and encouragement after I've posted up the first episode. Really do appreciate that. Um, you guys are awesome, and I really appreciate you. So moving right along, let's get into the first review. I am very excited for this, and uh, this is long overdue in my opinion. I agree with Sean, by the way, that uh, you know a Jonah Hex podcast is uh, long overdue. Frankly, I'm amazed there haven't been others. I mean, there have been quite a few Jonah Hex episodes of different podcasts. That I've noticed because I did you know some searching around to see what was out there and I wanted to make sure before I called myself the Jonah Hex podcast that there wasn't another one out there and from what I saw there's not one solely devoted to Jonah but there have been a lot of different shows that have covered Jonah. Mostly what I've seen is people talking about one-off issues of the current series and uh, 
one or two episodes that seem to be devoted to the character, but not a single podcast devoted just to Jonah Hex. So that's pretty cool. It's nice to uh, blaze that trail. And uh, as you'll hear, <laughs> I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that uh, that loves this character more than I do. <laughs> I'll go out on a limb and say that. So anyway, we're going to get into... Uh, Jonah's first appearance. This is All-Star Western, number 10. This is the uh, February-March 1972 issue. Original cover price, 25 cents for 52 big pages. Those were the days. Cover on this one by Tony DiZaniga, and it is great. I really enjoy this, and I'm going to describe it in just a moment. But first, I need to point out that on a quick glance, it is almost, almost the same exact cover as All-Star Western number 9, the prior issue, which, of course, did not feature Jonah Hex. But I'm going to try to paint you a mental picture of of what these two covers look like. Now, All-Star Western number 9... The cover on that, when the header at the top was, you had you know the little All-Star Western logo up there, and it says, Featuring Pow Wow Smith, Buffalo Bill, and Bat Lash. And uh, it had a green header on it. It was 48 pages for only 25 cents. This was issue 9 with a red banner at the top. And the picture by DiZaniga was... There's a stagecoach pulled up in front of uh, of this building, and we are inside. As the as the viewer, as the reader, you're inside this room. This guy has got off the stagecoach. He's raising his hat like like he's greeting the guy who's sitting in the doorway. Well, this old man is sitting in the doorway in a chair, and what the guy approaching him can't see is his back is riddled with arrows. And all these Indians are waiting around the doorway with their bows drawn, waiting for this guy. It's an ambush. That's the cover to number nine. The cover to number ten is we, as the reader, are, again, inside a room looking out. And this looks more like a saloon. And you see in the doorway, in the you know, there's the batwing doors coming to the saloon we see the silhouette, and that's all it is, is just a silhouette of Jonah Hex approaching the Batwing doors, gathered all around the edges of the door and all around inside the saloon are all these guys with their pistols and their shotguns and everything drawn, waiting for Hex to walk in the room. And it says, What shocking truth made the town he saved fear Jonah Hex? It's almost the same exact cover. I mean, you know, change a few details. You know, the stagecoach is gone. It's now a saloon instead of whatever this... Actually, there's a sign that says depot, so I guess it's supposed to be a depot on uh, number nine. And change the Indians to cowboys, and you've got pretty much the same exact cover. So I thought that was really cool. Plus, the banner on number 10 is uh, blue instead of red, and the page count's gone up by four pages. This one says and the the features have changed a little bit the uh, one on number nine was uh like i said powwow smith buffalo bill and batlash this one is el diablo jonah hex who only the um as we're looking at him the right side of his face is shown the left side is in shadow that's important in this issue by the way and batlash again is in this one so the features have changed up a bit but The reason we are gathered here today is for the lead feature in this 
comic book, which is Jonah Hex. Now, the header on this one reads, Cold-blooded killer, vicious, unmerciful hellion, without feeling, without conscience. A man consumed by hate, a man who boded evil. That was Jonah Hex. And the uh, title of this story is Welcome to Paradise. Now, some of these early issues would have headers, um, some of them would not. Eventually, there would come to be that header, you know, the, the one that leads off this show. He was a hero to some and a villain to others, but at this point, uh, that is in the future. Credits for this issue are very simple. There's only three listed. Editor, Joe Orlando. Script, John Albano. And if anybody knows of a different pronunciation for that name, please let me know. I really hope I'm pronouncing that name right. And art, Tony DiZaniga. And I just got to say right off the bat, it is beautiful. So, getting right into the synopsis for this one. The first time we lay eyes on the character of Jonah Hex, he's astride his horse and dragging the bodies of two of Big Jim's raiders through the streets of the town of Paradise Corners. We are treated to the reactions of the townsfolk, from comments about the dead raiders to a woman turning her small child away from the gruesome sight. Hex, whose full face is cleverly and artfully concealed throughout this sequence, and indeed for most of the issue itself, goes to see three of what I'm going to call the town fathers, because they're never really identified. I don't know if they're supposed to be bankers, or this is like the mayor and a couple of his assistants, or what. They never really say who these guys are, so I'm just going to call them the town fathers. He goes to see them to collect his bounty. The men are really pleased with the exemplary job that Hex has been doing, taking down this gang, and they inform him of his good fortune as three more of the raiders just rode in about 20 minutes ago and are in the saloon across the street right now. So Hex says, Well now, that's mighty accommodating of them to come here instead of me having to go hunting them up. I love the car. That's actually what how it's H-Y-A-R. Yeah. The fellas warn Hex to be cautious because surely the raiders observed him riding into town. But Hex replies that he's counting on it. Jonah says, No doubt. Only that's when they should have gone on the offensive and gunned me down. Now the advantage is mine. I'm on the offensive. As he walks out, and I love it, there's a reaction from a couple of the townies. One says, God, but that man makes me nervous. Another guy says, just being in his presence is enough to give me the shakes. So minutes later, we witness Hex climbing in through the upstairs window of the saloon, scaring the wits out of one of the saloon girls. Jonah quickly covers her mouth and tells her that he's just passing through and actually threatens to make her pretty little face unpretty rat quick if she utters so much as one tiny yelp. So then as he eases out of her room, we're treated to a really great panel showing Hex... He's on the upper level of the saloon, and he's got a clear view down to the bar and the front door and everything. And three members of Big Jim's gang are waiting to ambush him. So Hex stealthily descends the staircase, and then he catches the group completely off guard. He says, Right, sorry to disappoint you bushwhacking skunks, but y'all are facing in the wrong direction. So Hex brings down two of these startled raiders, and the third one flees in terror. Hex jumps the railing and pursues him out the front door and into the street where he collides with a small boy, spilling them both into the dirt. (laughs) I love it. 
Hex gets up and he looks like he's about to give the kid the back of his hand. He says, why? He says, why, you dumb little donkey? You made me miss. I got a mind too. And the little kid, he looks like he's not very, maybe seven at the oldest. He says, you put your hand on me and my pa will whoop you raw, mister. <laughs> Hex says, your pa ought to teach you some manners, boy. Before that sassy mouth of yourn, get him and you in a mess of trouble. Now get and the little boy says, I'm going, but just you look where you're running next time here. And Hex is really taken aback by this little kid. He says, I'll be dang, that little cub acts like he's a full-grown grizzly. <laughs> and then Hex looks as he gathers his hat out of the dust, and there's all these guys standing around watching this exchange. Hex yells at all of them. He's, you know, it, It's got one of those word balloons that's all jagged to tell that he's really letting these guys have it. And he says, what in tarnation are all you half-witted donkey-faced idiots staring at, huh? If every one of you don't clear out of here fast, all... And you see these guys, and it's all assholes and elbows. They are getting the hell out of there. So the town fathers show up again and tell Hex he's got another $200 coming to him for the two new bodies he's racked up, but the bounty hunter says he'll collect later. He tells him, right now... I'm going to pick up my horse from the blacksmith and start tracking that coyote what got away. Because I got a hunch he'll lead me to Big Jim himself. He actually says his self. Now this is one thing about these comics. I, it seems to me that they end up dropping this later on or, or at least toning it back. I'm not sure. It, it, it'll probably take quite a few issues for this to happen. But in these early issues, Hex really, he's written with a lot of this... Uh, I don't know what exactly the speech pattern is supposed to be. It's southern, midwestern, something like that. But the spelling is all like the word that is T-H-E-T, like that. And I'm is A-H apostrophe M, like I'm. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I appreciate what they're trying to do is to show that there is an accent there. But sometimes it really gets in the way of the reading of it. I, I don't know. I guess if you can hear it that way in your head or whatever then maybe it's not that distracting. But trying to read these, sometimes it can be a little bit distracting, especially if the, if the spelling's too far off. I find that really distracting because it's like, what, what is he saying? What is he trying to get? And then it takes a moment. You've got to actually cipher out what the dialogue is. So arriving at the blacksmith shop, Hex finds the smithy whipping his horse, and Hex roundhouses the man, knocking him, quote-unquote, plum cold with one punch. A couple of townies remark on how lucky Clem, the blacksmith, is that he didn't get gunned. And the guy says, That Jonah Hex wouldn't thought nothing of killing him. So we switch scenes, and in a cabin several miles from town, the escaped man, Cody, is holed up with Big Jim, who is more than a little pissed and dismayed by how one lone man could outshoot all three of his men. Cody, clearly rattled, says, You never went up again him, Jim. Uh, I just just can't describe the feeling you get when you look in that man's eyes. And I apologize if my reading of these lines is really cheesy. I don't know if I'm any good at the Southern dialogue or not, but like I say, it's written this way. I'm trying to read it the way that it's written. If it's too distracting, let me know. I'll tone it back. But Big Jim, he's not having any of this. He says... The only thing different about that freak is his face looks like it was kicked in by a mule. Remember, we haven't yet gotten a real distinct look at Jonah's facial features yet in this story. So Cody replies, no, it's more than that. He's not human, Jim, I swear. So humoring him, Jim says, yeah, yeah, you know, so he's some kind of demon then. 
And then he sends his henchmen outside where it is now nighttime for water so he can brew them some coffee. So Cody, he's loath to step foot outside in the dark, but he does do as he's told. And at the well, Cody thinks to himself that the first thing in the morning, he's getting the hell out of Dodge. This was a sweet racket at one time, but you know now Hex shows up and has put the fear of God into him, and he's not going to stick around. So he's got the bucket full, he gathers it up, and he's walking back to the cabin when he nearly collides with a shadowy figure. He says, that you, Jim? And as way of reply, the figure strikes a match for the cigarette that's hanging loosely from his lips, revealing the full and horribly scarred face of Jonah Hex. And it is a great, great reveal. It scares the piss out of Cody, and Cody goes for his piece, but Hex blasts him dead at virtually point-blank range. So in the cabin, Big Jim is listening to the sounds of his man die, and he flees out the back window of the cabin and into the night. He finds his horse, and he rides like hell. So sometime later, Jim rests his uh, exhausted horse by a stream, and the moon is just coming out, and he's feeling lucky to have lost Hex when he did. And that's when Jim looks up and he sees, perfectly framed by the full moon behind him, Jonah Hex as astride his horse, just sitting up there on the ridge, watching him. He yells out, he's akin to the devil! And he runs, leaving, he even leaves his horse behind. So then the scene changes again, it says, hours later, and we can see that the, uh, the sun is rising. It also tells that Jim hid in the underbrush all night long. He spies this farm and runs to it, knowing that Hex is still in his trail, watching him and toying with him. So then Hex rides up, Cody's body draped over the back of his horse, and he just calmly waits, and we see him sitting there. Looks like maybe he's, uh, he's doing something with his, one of his pistols, like maybe reloading it or checking it or something. But he doesn't have to wait long, because then Jim emerges, and he's holding a woman as a hostage, and he's threatening to blow her head off if Hex doesn't drop his gun belt. And Hex says, Huh? You think I care what happens if that feet?" And he's, I think he's starting to say female. And you hear a voice say, Ma, ha! Well, not hear a voice, but read a voice. Say, Ma! And Hex turns and he says, What? And he says, You again? And it's the kid from earlier. And he says, Don't let him hurt my ma, please! And Hex again looks like he's about to backhand the kid. And he says, Doggone, he says, Yesterday you tripped me up and let one stinking sidewinder get away. Now you want me to? And the kid's latching on to Hex at this point. And he says, You gotta help her, mister. You just gotta, please! So Hex, he, takes, he does take off his gun belt. He says, Ah, this is the only way I'm going to shut that little cub squealing is to let you go, skunk. So the guy, he's throwing the woman at Hex, and he says, That's more like it, Jonah. Now just you stay where you are. And uh, he mounts up on a horse. I, I guess this must be Hex's horse, actually. He's going to take off on Hex's horse. Now, keeping in mind that this is Hex's first appearance and the first time that such a thing is going to happen, I can kind of forgive the fact that Big Jim doesn't just simply shoot Hex, I guess. However, this sort of thing ends up happening one too many times down the road, you'll see. You know, for my taste, anyway. It's the old Batman and Robin syndrome. You know, you have the hero helpless before you. Take advantage of it. You know, this is your one opportunity to get rid of them. Why wouldn't you take it? But Big Jim, he doesn't. He instead, you know, he jumps on Jonah's horse and he's going to ride off. 
and that's his fatal mistake. Hex, you know, he reaches behind him, he pulls out a sheathed knife that he keeps hidden at the back of his neck, which has got to be pretty uncomfortable, and with expert precision, he hurls it, and it lands square between the shoulder blades of the retreating Jim, who falls dead to the ground. Really like that panel. And Hex, as he uh, he's recovering his gun belt, he turns to the little boy and he says, Let that be a lesson to you, boy. Never show your back to a man aiming to kill you. Now let's get your ma inside the house. So Hex carries the boy's fainted mother into the cabin. And having seen to her, he gathers Jim's body and prepares to ride off. And Hex says to him, Incidentally, cub, where's that paw, Yorn? You were going to get to whoop me yesterday. And the boy says, oh, I ain't got no paw. I guess I'm the biggest liar there is in the whole territory. And then the boy actually asks him, he goes, You going to come back to visit me, mister? And Jonas, again with the darkened face, Jonah turns to the boy and says, Visit you? What fur? I love the dialogue in these. And the boy says, my ma's apple dumplings. Tomorrow's Thursday, and every Thursday she makes the tastiest apple dumplings anyone's ever et. Jonas says, well, I ain't crazy about dumplings, but I just might come back to try one. And he rides off. <laughs> and now he's got a horse in tow. I'm assuming this is Big Jim's horse, and he's got both the bodies draped over the horse, and there's all these flies buzzing around. It's a great visual. So back in town, Hex accepts the full payment and the accolades of the delighted town fathers who credit him with making Paradise Corners a fit place for decent folk to live in again. Hex inquires about the farm and is told that the boy's father was killed by Indians long ago. But I'm thinking, it couldn't have been too long ago, he's just a little boy. So one of the other town fathers says to Hex, been rough going for that widow ever since. She owes $300 in back taxes right now, probably going to lose the farm. And surprisingly, Hex hands the guy a big old wad of bills and he says, you see to it that she don't. And the guy's really taken aback and he says, huh? He says, why, why of course, Mr. Hex. And you can see in the faces of anybody that he interacts with in this issue, save for the little boy so far, they're all really taken aback by it. Now, the, the issue... What's really cool about this is it, it doesn't overuse his face. As a matter of fact, we've so far that one point where, where he lit the match and scared the bejesus out of Cody at the well, that's really the only time so far in the entire issue we've gotten a solid look at Jonah Hex's face. So Dizaniga is really making excellent work of his artwork in this. And, and most of the time, if Hex's face is shown at all, it's, you're only seeing half of his face. The other half, the scarred half, is in the shadows. Yet you can tell there's something wrong with this guy that puts the fear of God into everyone around him because the uh, first panel at the top of page 14 where he's talking to the, uh, the city fathers, well, here's what he says, but the looks, the looks on their faces, they're, they're horrified. And here's what uh, Heck says. He says, one more thing. I've been thinking of settling down myself somewhere. And you've got a house on the edge of town that's just what I've been looking for. And the first city father, he's just, you you, you want to live in Paradise Corners? And another one says, uh, that house was sold, or just this morning it was sold, as a matter of fact. And Hex, great panel where he's drawn, really kind of towering over the guy. And he says, it were, huh? And uh, again, the, the toadiest looking city father, he says, yeah, yeah, yes, sir, he says, and there isn't another house in the whole territory that's for sale. Not one. 
And the uh, the middle guy, the fat city father, he says, You'd be more than welcome to live in Paradise Corners if there were a place available, Mr. Hex. And Hex gathers up his horse and he says, Ha! You men don't think I actually would have wanted to live around this stinking desert hole, do you? Why, I wouldn't even want to die in a place like this. There's a great panel at the bottom of this page where he's rearing up his horse and heading out. And the city fathers, they're all turned to each other and one says, Whew. Have a savage like that among civilized people like us? No, sir. And another one says, I guess the poor freak has to live somewhere, but can you imagine what would happen to property values if he ever moved in? And the last guy says, I say he should go live with his own kind. (laughs) I don't know what his own kind is supposed to be. I don't know, scarred people? I don't know. So Hex rides, he's headed back to the farm in anticipation of saying goodbye to the little boy and those apple dumplings, when a shot pierces his hat. So hitting the dirt, Hex recovers and jumps up with his pistol out to confront the boy's mother. Turns out she's pissed. Hex, whom she sees as nothing more than a murdering hellion, she says, has come to be a hero to her little boy and she's going to put a stop to it right now. So she tells him point blank that he's not welcome around her farm or her son. To which Hex just scoffs at the idea that he would have been headed to visit either of them anyhow. And then he rides off. But minutes later, the boy appears up ahead on the trail. And he calls to Hex. He says, psst, hey mister. And Hex says, oh, it's you. And again, his face is all in shadow. And the boy says, ain't my ma the most ungrateful critter you ever done seen? Says she don't care that you saved her life because she's again me joining up with you. Hex is joining up with, are you loco cub? Now get on back with your ma where you belong. And the boy looks kind of stunned. And it, it's a cute little picture of the boy because again he's he can't be more than seven years old. Actually he he's uh, looks even younger in this panel, but maybe it's just the the expression on his face. He he's dressed. A lot. He reminds me a lot of like Tom Sawyer from the old Tom Sawyer movie. He's got the, uh, you know, the stick with the bag tied on the back of it type of thing, and uh, he looks stunned. He almost looks like he might be ready to cry. And he says, "Huh?" He goes, "But I won't be any trouble if you take me with you." Honest, I, I thought you sort of liked me, Mister. And Hex, he says, "Like you? I hate you, boy. Hate you like poison." And he rides off. And soon after, while riding off. Hex comes across this welcome sign to Paradise Corners, and he stops and he just looks at the sign for a while. And with an angry, and I like to imagine a pained expression on his face, Hex punches the sign and literally punches it to pieces. And on the last panel, we see the shattered sign, and the signpost is all busted up in the foreground with Jonah Hex leaving on his horse far off in the distance. And I gotta say, for a first story, it's a pretty good one. I like this story. It sets up a lot of how Jonah Hex is going to be. It doesn't really give you anything. I mean, he just kind of rides in. There's no origin story. There's no background. I love that his face is kept a mystery, except pretty much for just that one panel where where we really get a good look at him. It's enough, I can imagine, for, for someone reading this, probably a kid, but somebody reading this in 1972 to be like, wow, you know, what happened to this guy? You know, why, what's, what's up with his face? I also like this, 
you know, of course, this is the first story, but this is, uh, you can see the beginnings of the whole, you know, is, is he a supernatural figure? Is, is there something supernaturalish about him? That would become a bigger deal down the road when the title changes over to become Weird Western Tales. For a time, Hex becomes almost a supernatural character where, where he almost seems to have supernatural abilities, especially when it comes to, to tracking the criminal or, you know, the bad men or whatever to where he keeps, you know, he has this ability to where the, the bad guy thinks that they're getting away, but then they look up and there's hex standing there. And it's like, how, how did you find me? It's almost a, a Batman esque thing or, or something from like the twilight zone where, you know, the, the killer or the bad person keeps seeing the same person over and over again, pursuing them, that, that sort of thing. But in a lot of these early stories, we would get guys saying things like, you know, he isn't human or he's a demon or he's the devil, things like, I really like that. Um, They do eventually move away from that and we'll see that progression as we go along. And right out of the gate, we sort of get the, uh, the tough, grim, gritty killer with a heart of gold type of thing. Although not too much of a heart of gold because at the end of the story, again, you know, he's he's saving the kid from a life like his, I guess. But he does tell the kid, you know, who's just a little kid, he tells him he hates him. I hate you like poison. So he's not too good. And although I only ever saw the movie one time when I was a little kid, isn't this kind of like a Shane ending? Isn't that kind of how that movie ends where... Shane was like a gunfighter or something like that, and he wants to go off with Shane at the end. Because I can remember the, the ending of that movie where the kid's calling after him, Shane, come back, Shane. So I think this is sort of like that, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe somebody more familiar with that movie can uh, can clue me in on that whole deal. Now, I don't know how hard it would be to obtain a copy of this today, I've had my copy of this issue for uh, several years now, and this was one of the toughest issues uh, of Jonah Hex. I, I, I'm fairly positive I have every Jonah Hex appearance in any comic anywhere. Could be wrong about that. I need to double-check my list, but I'm pretty sure I do. This, understandably, was one of the very hardest ones to come across because it is his first appearance. And... It is kind of pricey, but at the time I got it, I happened to find it at one of those, uh, you know, those like antique collectible shows you see at the mall sometimes. Our local mall here used to have them. That was before they got all filled up with all these, you know, stupid booths where you can, you know, try perfume or a massage or, you know, get new covers for your cell phone or whatever. They used to do that sort of thing. And I actually was able to get this. I talked the guy down to a measly 10 bucks. And you know, for the shape this issue's in, I got a steal because it's actually in really solid shape. The, the cover's a little bit whipped, but the interior's in great shape. So I would encourage anybody that's, uh, that's trying to collect these early issues, they're out there to be had. You know, if, you, if you're patient enough, you can find this issue for, for a reasonable price, I feel. Although with the movie coming out, depending on how the movie does and everything, I don't know, it, it, may, it may do something to the back issue market on this. Now, this issue also sets the precedent for what Hex likes to call the uh, the guys that he goes up against, the, the people that he hunts down. He calls them skunks. 
he says it several times in this issue, and that does uh, that does stick with the character quite a bit in the future issues. That's something he never does really uh, outgrow. Again, I really do like what Dizaniga did with Hex's face in this issue. It, it he never, except for that one panel, he never beats you over the head with with Hex's looks. I, I like that. It, it ma- maintains a a mystery and a mystique about the guy and. It's a it's a Hitchcockian trick to where it, it may actually make him seem a little more mysterious or a little more uh, frightening or hideous than what he really is. But I like that. It works very well throughout this whole issue. And I also like the way everyone around him reacts to him. You know, the townies throughout this entire story are making little comments about you know, some some of the people actually recognize him. You know, as the the issue opens, a couple of the townies. You know, one of them is saying it's Jonah Hex, and uh, another one is commenting on the fact that he brought in two other raiders. But he says, "But they sure ain't live raiders anymore." Things like that. I love it throughout the whole issue. Everywhere he goes, everywhere he walks, people are in fear of him, or or you know, they they give him a wide berth as he walks down the street. That sort of thing. They're afraid of him. I love it. As far as the rest of the issue, there's uh, there's some cool stuff in here. On the inside front cover, we've got the classic Charles Atlas ad, the insult that made a man out of Mac. I love that. We've got an ad for hippie patches, or what I call hippie patches anyway. Very, very 70s. Actually, uh, very late 60s, really. A little bit out of date. We've got a nice house ad by Carmine Infantino for DC. Got an ad for a giant life-size moon monster. Looks like something out of an old 50s B-movie. Got several ads in here for little toy cars, HO tracks, and things like that. My favorite ad, though. I don't know that I've ever seen this one before other than this issue. (laughs) There's one that says, Be taller! Grow, man, grow! And it shows this guy... And it's a, it's a photograph, but you know how these old uh, black and white photographs, they would look kind of funny in the comics when they'd reproduce them on this comic paper. And it's a, like a bodybuilder, strongman type of thing. And he's actually split in two in the, in the way that the thing is laid out. So you've got the top half of the guy, and he's reaching up over his head. And then the lower half of him is legs, and in between it's got the words, Be taller, but it, <laughs> it looks like he's been like ripped in half in this ad. It's really wonky looking. Yeah, I get a kick out of that. Now, the other features in here, we've got El Diablo by uh, Robert Conagher. I'm not sure who the artist is on this. I think it's Gray Morrow, but uh, I don't see any credits on that, which is kind of odd that uh, there'd be absolutely no... Yes, it is Gray Morrow, actually. Credits are at the very last panel of the story. That's weird. Teeny tiny credits. Bob Conagher and uh, Gray Morrow on that. I like the artwork on that. We also have a uh, Batlash story that is actually a reprint from uh, Batlash number six. Lastly, something I want to do, I'm going to uh, try to keep up with this. I thought this would be a lot of fun. Now, over the course of Hex's history, I've always been curious just how many people has Hex put down anyway. And I thought, you know, since we're starting this thing at the very beginning, let's find out. So beginning with this issue, as we start, he's already bringing in two bodies. So he's killed two people already. And then he shoots three guys over the course of the story. And then Big Jim he takes out by stabbing him or, you know, throwing his knife and hitting him with it. So we'll call it a stab. 
So that's two already dead, three shot, one stabbed. That's a tally of six people killed by Jonah Hex in this issue. We're going to call that the death count. And we're going to keep up with that in every subsequent episode. So we'll see just how high that death count gets. Now, the story, the Jonah Hex story in this issue is reprinted or collected in a couple of different places. There was a Jonah Hex trade paperback in 2007 that uh, apparently was a Finland release, according to the information I found. Also, there was the Millennium Edition reprint in 2000 of All-Star Western Number 10. And in 2005, there was a Showcase Presents Jonah Hex trade paperback volume 1. You can find uh, this first story, Welcome to Paradise, in those different places. Now, come back and join me next Thursday, and we will be looking at All-Star Western number 11. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Thank you.